0: Good morning, everybody. Um, we are going to be talking for the next this next series about uh, wisdom. It's a little bit of wisdom, and I, I'm thankful for the introduction that Tim gave me. It's a little overstated, maybe. Um, but I like how he gives me the first sermon in a little bit of wisdom, just a little bit. So apparently, that's maybe that's what I have. Um, my desire in this message is to kind of lay a foundation for the series and to um, kind of lay a foundation for wisdom, kind of give some some definitions of it. And how it applies to us and uh, it it can seem a little daunting when I was first getting started doing some research on it 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 was a little daunting to me so what I would ask you is don't check out keep your keep your focus on me and um, I think I I say that because I think it applies to all of us and so uh, just stick with me through this and uh, first I'm gonna pray because I'm nervous Lord thank you for this day thank you that we uh, we're gathered together as your body today God, I pray that you would just help me to share the words, share the things, the ideas that you gave me this week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what is wisdom? What is wisdom? So when I, st- I want to start with this, and I want to look at it biblically, which I believe is probably the best place to start. Uh, when I think of wisdom, I think of the Proverbs in the Bible. When you think about it biblically, um, Proverbs is one of the wisdom books. Uh, it includes Job and Ecclesiastes as well, but Proverbs is kind of one of those books you think about. A lot of wisdom stuff in there and i normally uh like the new testament when i speak i usually speak out of the new testament but for this i i i just i know there's so much power and wisdom in the old testament and we can't forget about it and so i went back to proverbs and uh proverbs are considered wise sayings and the book of proverbs was written by king solomon son of david and uh he was considered to be the wisest man on earth if you google him you google the wisest man on earth you'll find a lot of people agree that it was it was king solomon which is interesting to me he lived in the 10th century that's when he wrote proverbs and he was also the richest man on earth which is another correlation maybe for another message another day that tim might give you Um, the thing that we have to remember is that when god said solomon what do you want he said i want wisdom and he asked god for wisdom this was not earthly wisdom that he was asking for. This was godly wisdom. And I'm going to try to show you that today. So just so we're clear, when I say wisdom, I'm not talking about intelligence. I'm not talking about your smarts. I'm not talking about uh, speed reading or test taking. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about this. Show them. That's wisdom. Can anybody say that? No? I couldn't either. Don't worry about it. This, uh, this, is, the, this is a Hebrew word for Wisdom. And it is pronounced Hochma. Hochma. So, everybody say Hochma. Good, good. Hopefully, you remember that. Um, this is an interesting word because it describes this uh, invisible force. It's it's part of God. It's part of how He created the world, and He worked it into the fabric of everything and how everything works. Um, it's part of His DNA. So picture when I talk about it, picture a needle and thread going through, and it's kind of weaving its way through every situation, every choice you have to make. This is Hochma. Now, when we talk about wisdom, there's a there's a regular definition for it. We have it. If you Google it, you find this is the definition: having experience, knowledge, and good judgment, and being able to apply these to make a sound decision. Now, I agree with that. That's that's a good definition for wisdom. But what's cool about Hochma is it goes even further, and there's several connotations that I want you to. To think about when it comes to Hokmah and wisdom. The first one is, it talks about skill. And it's not just skill, it's skill in war. It's actually talking about in war. And I, I equate it to strategy. God can give you strategies. If there's um, conflict in your life, whatever it may be, God can give you strategies for those times. Skill in war. The second one is wisdom in administration. Now, this is one of those things Hey, Tim. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, wisdom and administration is, it's talking, I, th- I feel like, about efficiency. It's being efficient with the things you do, not wasting time, not wasting resources, being efficient. Um, the third one is shrewdness. And I, this is probably my, one of my favorites. It, shrewdness is talking about good judgment. When you're faced with decisions, when you're faced with dilemmas, you have good judgment, and you make the right choice. The, uh, the fourth one is prudence, which... It actually refers to religious affairs in in this context, but it's talking about caution, using caution, not overreacting to things. But when you're faced with things, you use caution, prudence. And then the last one that I wanna talk about is wisdom within ethical situations. And uh, the connotation is integrity, having integrity. And so wisdom, this chmah is talking about strategy, efficiency, good judgment, caution, and integrity. In addition to having those experience and having the knowledge and being able to apply those to the things you're in, does that make sense? Okay. This is the wisdom we're talking about. This is godly wisdom. So the definition that you, if you googled it, you would find it applies. I think it's a great definition. But that whole chma gives us the fullness of what God's talking about when he when he talks about wisdom and what Solomon's talking about. So like, do we feel we know a little bit more about wisdom? It's good. Okay. Good. Let's talk about. The foundation of wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? Uh, in doing this research, one of the things I discovered also about chokmah is that it's freely available to us. It's given by God. It's, it's available to us. James 1.5 talks about this. And James says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Yeah. It's a pretty simple statement. It's not always easy, but it's simple. The cool thing is, is when we're faced with decisions and situations that are tough on us, we can operate in, in chokhmah. We can do that by making the godly choice in those situations. And that's, that's, remember, that's that, that needle and thread that's weaving through every decision, every situation you're in. Um, in Proverbs 1, 20 through 33, this is a section of Proverbs 1 called the call of wisdom. And in this passage, Solomon describes, um, he personifies wisdom as a woman, who's standing in the street, she's standing on the rooftop, she's standing on the wall, and she's calling out to everyone to follow her ways, to follow the ways of wisdom. It's an appeal made to all of us, and in the end of this passage, she explains the people that don't follow the the wisdom, the the foolish ones, all they can expect is destruction. And then her followers, they can expect dwelling in safety with no fear of evil. This is an appeal, It's it's a wonderful appeal to us from wisdom herself. Um, and then one of the greatest statements I believe about wisdom in Proverbs comes uh, in Proverbs nine ten. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, we've all heard this term, the fear of the Lord, and it takes a little bit of explanation, I think, um, because we're told we shouldn't fear anything, and yet here's, here's Jesus and all, all these writers saying we should fear the Lord. So what does this mean to us? A lot of people say that it's, we should have extreme reverence or extreme honor and give that to God. But a lot of times in these passages, it says fear. It means terror and dread, which is hard to, to reconcile. When you think about in, Jan, in 1 John four eighteen, it says, perfect love casts out all fear. How do we reconcile that with fearing the Lord? That's a good I've wondered this before. I looked it up, and I, I looked up an article by a guy named William Eisenhower, and uh, he wrote an article about this and I just wanna read you a small excerpt from it and it's, it's really good, I just, I'll read it to you um, and then i talk a little bit about it. He says, unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset it. How different this is from the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give it unwarranted power For in truth, the world's threats are temporary. When we expect God to balance the stress of the world, we reduce him to the world's equal. I want to read that again. When we expect God to balance the stress of the world, we reduce him to the world's equal. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from my delusions so he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down, only to lift me up. He sits in judgment of my sin, but forgives me nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. We can't put the world on par with God. God is the only thing that is worth fearing. Thank him for his mercy and his grace, though. He's the one we should fear, but, but he gives us mercy and grace, and he does that through love. And what I see is that Jesus is the fulfillment of this idea. Jesus talked nonstop about fearing the Lord and loving your brother and loving um, your neighbor. That's what he talked about. But at the, in the same breath as talking about fear of the Lord, he's the ultimate example of these things working together. I hope that that helps understand, us understand a little bit better about this fear of the Lord and why it's the beginning of knowledge. He goes on in Proverbs nine ten, Solomon does, to say knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Jesus is the Holy One. He's talking about knowing him and really knowing him and his word and how that affects wisdom, understanding things. Let's look at some of Jesus' own words uh, in the parable of the two house builders. I think that this passage helps bridge the gap between uh, understanding that fear of the Lord being the, the foundation, and then the difference between um, godly wisdom and, and man's wisdom. In Matthew seven twenty four through 27, let's read it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had the foundation on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, when I think about this, this story, it reminds me of when my son, Kai, was two or three, thereabouts. We had him listening to these um, Bible stories on, on CD that were from a guy that I used to, he was a pastor that I used to know a long time ago. I had a radio show, radio show, I know. Um, CDs, right? I know. Anyway, we used this old technology to teach our son some of these things. <laughs> and uh, he, he loved this one, it was about the house builder. And at the end, this guy would sing this song about this. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Wrong- I don't know the whole song. But at the end, he, he made this big crash. And every time, Kai would be like, crash! And I loved it. It makes you remember it. But he, he was emphasizing the bad part, obviously. We need to think about um, having our foundation on the rock. But um, the, co- the cool part about this is what he, Jesus said this after he had just been talking about some really important subjects, talking about judging other people, the golden rule, um, talking about who would make it into the kingdom of heaven and about false prophets that would try to lead people astray. He talks about those things. And then he says, Forever, whoever hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice. That's the wise man. And what we have to realize is the correlation there is that building your house on the rock is fearing the Lord and using God's wisdom. And on the sand, the sand that's ever changing, moving, the foolish man builds his house there and that's man's wisdom. Those are the two things I wanna talk about. The issue is, is that throughout history, throughout our history, men have chosen to forsake God. Israel did it, tons, I mean, all over the place. People have chosen to forsake God and they go their own route. They use their own wisdom to try to learn and experience. And a lot of these guys have been called philosophers, scientists, whatever you want to call them. Um, the thing I would say is, I think science and God work really well together. But it's because I have a framework in, 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 my, in my thinking of how things are through God. The framing of that has, is, is super important. These guys have gone without God. They don't use God's wisdom. Um, and obviously I can't explain everything. I know that, but I think that's what they're trying to do. They're so inquisitive and I don't think that's a bad thing. They want to, they want knowledge. They want to experience these things. They're inquisitive about the world, but they don't have God to frame what they're doing. They've gone their own route and they seek after knowledge without God's wisdom to give them understanding. So they're trying to explain creation without knowing the creator makes it very difficult If it was me, I feel like I'd be so frustrated trying to explain these things without God as my base. And so some of the theories they've come up with, they're widely accepted. Things like evolution, things like this that are, are, I feel like they take more faith than believing in God, some of these things. Um, I was reading a uh, a book that my dad actually purchased for my son, but it's a little more, it's a little lofty for him at this point. It was Einstein in 30 seconds, and (laughs) it was all his theories in 30 seconds, little snippets. Um, very technical. I don't know why he, he bought it for my, for my son, but I read it, which was awesome. Uh, but in it, it talked about uh, the unified field, field theory. So I don't know if you, any of you have heard of this. Um, Einstein, as we know, genius, smart guy, kind of built some of the building blocks of what we see as physics, how things work. Um, he worked on two main ideas, and that was electromagnetism and gravity, okay? Now, I'm going to go into some details here don't get bogged down by the terms I just want to use this as an as an illustration the unified field theory was kind of like his last thing it was kind of like they call it the holy grail of physics Um, he, he put some equations together that tried to prove this thing and what it was is unifying two fields so unifying gravitation and electromagnetism and putting them in the same framework and having them work together so when he did it on paper he could get it to work, but it never worked with real-world data for some reason. They, a lot of people think it's because he was ignoring uh, some of the quantum ideas that now we know more about, subatomic particles like quarks and leptons, really, really small things. Um, we have the technology now to understand some of these things a little better, but he couldn't put them together because he was kind of ignoring that part of it. So it was a failure, he was considered, it was considered a failure and I think it was disappointing for him for sure towards the end of his life. Um, but since his failure, we've been able to study these things so much in more depth, learning about these, they constantly are finding new and different particles and how they work, um, but there's still two main parts of physics and that's Einstein's relativity stuff, electromagnetism and gravity, and then quantum physics, which is all the little stuff, all the quarks and all that stuff I said, subatomic particles. These guys are still trying to put these things together. It's unbelievable. They, they call it the grand unified theory now. They gave it a better name, apparently, thinking that would help. And gravity has given them all kinds of problems. They're trying to put this with this, and they just can't do it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We see these guys as geniuses, and it's got to be so frustrating for them. I, the easiest way I can say it is imagine you're, you've got a, a puzzle, okay, You've got your electromagnetic pieces, your gravity pieces, and your quantum pieces. They're putting the quantum pieces together. They're a little different. Say you got your cardboard cardboard uh, jigsaw pieces, and maybe these are made out of plastic. Does that make sense? They can fit together still, because it's kind of the same thing, very similar. But then they get to gravity, and it's like um, you got your cardboard pieces, your plastic pieces, and then you have a pile of spaghetti (laughs) there and you don't know what to do, it's not working. And then the spaghetti's invisible. That's, that's kind of like the best, it's this, this probably an oversimplification, but it's the best way I can explain this um, to where it makes sense. They're trying to put these things together and it just doesn't work. And I, I think it's just one of those mysteries of God. Now they may do it eventually, I don't know. These guys are smart. The thing is, I, the, the point I'm trying to make is, they've relied so long on man's wisdom. They've gone through these things and it's not working for them. Now, I'm, I know we're not scientists. I'm not trying to say that we should delve into these things and we should try to, try to find the way. What I'm saying is we have to understand how, how things work so that we can navigate just every day of our life. We have to understand that whole that's that's weaving through, and we have to tap into that. We have to frame the knowledge we receive, and I think we should go after knowledge. We should go after experiences, especially from the Bible, But we gotta frame that through God's wisdom. That's the most important part. Rachel, where are you at? Can you come? There she is. I wanna give my final thought here. As I do, I'd like for you guys to close your eyes. Rachel's gonna play a song here in a minute. And these are some things I want you to think about while while she's playing. What does pursuing God's wisdom look like in our lives? Every day we're presented with choices, big and small. There are things we know we shouldn't do, there are things we know we should do. Following the leading of the Holy Spirit is super important in finding out the right way. Tapping into that wisdom of God shows us the way. Sometimes we do the the don'ts and we don't do the do's. And we know that a lot of times that this is going to backfire on us and it's going to be bad for us. But wisdom teaches us and reminds us of those ramifications. We can use experiences in the past, knowledge that we've gained from God and apply them so that he can help us to stop temptation, stop sinning, stop disobeying God. Wisdom strips away the power of shame, helps us not to rationalize sin, and it helps us to begin to see through the tricks of the enemy. It helps us navigate the choices we have to make every day. So when you're thinking about what the future, when you're thinking about decisions you have to make, both big and small, ask him for wisdom. Remember that it's woven through the fabric of every situation you're in. Pursuing wisdom is a must. As I close, I want you to remember... James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it'll be given to you.